What's up, strength coaches? Welcome back to another episode of the Cheeky Midweeky, where we are again making strength and conditioning not boring. And today we are diving down the rabbit hole of nutrition even more. And we have a nutrition kind of expert on the topic of, I mean, you've worked with professional fighters, so I'm going to stop talking and I'm going to introduce yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my name is Nicole. I, I um, recently left the UFC where I was one of the combat sports dietitians working with the rostered UFC fighters. Um, there was r- around 600 rostered fighters. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we our, our job was to, you know, help them during their fight camp, help them during their fight week, and both were a little bit different. And then, of course, help them transition and then get back into another fight camp. Um, so there were a lot of nuanced, uh, yes, nutrition to, to working at the UFC. Um, and so that's kind of where I am right now in the sense of like working in the private practice, working with different combat sports athletes, like at least at the UFC was like a lot of MMA. And now I actually dabble back with uh, boxing and um some wrestling, some Taekwondo, like it's like going back, I'm going backwards to when I was at the Olympic training center. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's been great. I mean, the fact that you're diving into those difficult sports and I only understand it at a very, very small level from, um, my friend and and taking professional fights and, and being around, a you know, a, a MMA gym for two and a half years, but like the things that they do leading up into a camp and then even the cut, like for our listeners out there that maybe work in those sports or they work in, um, wrestling, like what is your biggest piece of advice of things? Because it's, that's just a big rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, so I guess, I guess advice to the dietitians I can give and the advice to the athletes as, um, I guess more to the athletes, it's, you know, making sure that you find a good like group of coaches and staff members that you enjoy like working with or pad holders or different like jujitsu or MMA coaches, like find a good group that all talk to each other, but also, um, that want to see you, um, be an MMA fighter for a long period of time so that want to see the longevity of your career and get Mm. you moving slowly and steadily and, and start, you know, early with getting your performance um, set in the sense of like getting your nutrition set, getting your strength and conditioning set, get your recovery modalities and your, your physio, all of that in a good place, like get good habits around there when you start um, so that you can keep those going. And and again, you know, keep the longevity of your career, really protect yourself in that sense. Uh, When it comes to dietitians, uh, it is, a different beast uh, to work with combat sports athletes. I would say, you know, get your dabble, um, dabble more in those regular, regular team sports where it's not so much team sports and like some individual sports, like where it's not so much a heavy, heavy emphasis on like, you know, meal planning and losing weight and optimizing Mm. body composition and um, where it's like sets, you know, set schedules, set competition dates with fighters. It's not, you never know when they're going to just, up and take a short notice fight. Like Alex Volkanovski is a great example of that. And so you really never know. You gotta want to, so that's why you want to make sure that you're able to like really be flexible and understand their body uh, fairly well so that if you can really, you know, get the intricacies of working with like a runner or the soccer player, great. Now you can move and take all that knowledge that you have into more of like the nuanced nutrition when it comes to working with a combat sports athlete and like really periodizing their meal plan based off their training schedule and then moving, transitioning into a, a fight week where they're already heat acclimated. And now you're just going to do some like low residue diet and then some water loading and weight cutting. So it's very, yeah, it's very nuanced and you can go straight into it and, and that's fine. You just got to make sure that you really do get some, you know, hours put in so that you can practice that. 
<clears throat> you said some things about water loading in there for anybody that's listening and they're like, okay, my athletes are doing it wrong. They're like, what is the best practical advice that you give them on the water loading and the cutting? Cause I've heard some things and like, I don't know if my, what I've heard is right either. Yeah. Um, I would say, I don't know the water loading process as it relates to like power lifting. I can't speak to that. It might be very similar. Um, it might be different. I just am not so well-versed in that sporting population. Uh, but if you're looking for a good standard starting point, I'm going to give you a reference. I would use the UFCPI journal and, okay. and read through that. Or, you know, there are definitely a lot of podcasts um, um, by, you know, Charles Stoll and like Clint that have been interviewed um, that talk more about the water loading process. But once you get that information uh, and know that there's a difference between the water loading versus water tapering, then you got to practice it. I know it's crazy, you know, practicing the water loading process in the middle of your fight camp or at the beginning of your fight camp sounds weird to do, but that is something that we made sure um, fighters, you know, practiced while they were in camp just to get the nerves out and to know, okay, yeah. I've done it before. So I know I'm going to water load for these days and everything else is going to stay the same. And I'm going to do a little mini cut on this day just so I can see how much, you know, how much sweat I, I get out, how much weight do I lose? Not, it's not going to be detrimental to your performance because again, it's, um, it's controlled. You have your team involved. Everything else is still staying the same. You're going to maybe modify the training schedule just a little bit so that you're not doing too, you know, um, heavy loads, I guess, with the water loading and the cut and like, you know, an MMA or sparring session together. So you know, having that team, that core team together so that you can practice that um, so that you don't feel scared come fight week is, is key. <clears throat> no, 100%. And the meal planning things, how do you go about <laughs> like with that? Like, do you like what's the best thing that you'd recommend then? Is it, you know, six meals? Is it broken up? Like, how do you best recommend it? And it, if you're going to be like, hey, man, it's just based off the athlete. Like, I get that too. Yeah. So, okay. So if I get certain, um, athletes and fighters i have a wide age range i have you know um i would say young adults who are in like junior boxing olymp like olympic training and stuff like that where it's like meeting them where they're at with their school and like what they like to eat and then i also have older adults who teach jujitsu but also train jujitsu and I'll, and so don't have a lot of time and so you kind of want to meet them with what they have available but yes i try to advocate for three meals and three snacks. I mean, that's kind of like my baseline. But again, if people don't eat like that from the get-go, I cannot force them to just go straight to that because the body will be like, hey, what the heck? You know, I'm not ready for this. So I say, all right, let's start small. You're only eating three meals a day. Let's add one snack. Let's do that for two weeks, see how you feel. And then I want to add another snack. Sometimes it's let's do that for one month and see how you feel. And then I add another snack the next month. And then that just transitions into the third month. It's so it can take a very long time to introduce new snacks and more, more calories and distribute all the meals and snacks throughout the day. It can take a while. It's just part of building a habit. And sometimes they're not used to it because of training schedule, work, stress, mm. stomach issues. Like there's so many things. Taking a quick break from the show to tell you about our deal we have going on right now in December. If you sign up for Fundamentals Level 1, you will get one free year at Strength Coach Network. That's right. Sign up for Fundamentals, our 20-hour long-form education course that has information on every topic in strength and conditioning that will make you a better strength coach, regardless of the field that you're in. Not only if you're a strength coach, personal trainer, athletic trainer, physio, this is for you because all the education about progressions, regressions, motor learning, speed, agility, jumps, you name it, we have information in it. So sign up for Fundamentals, get a free year at Strength Coach Network. 
Click the link down below. Let's get back to the show. <clears throat> Dive down that stomach issue part because I've I've had that come across with me and the athletes that I've worked with and trying to navigate that with maybe they didn't want to eat early in the morning or late. Mm-hmm. Like how do you, mm-hmm. how do you handle that and what are some things that you've seen? Yeah, so fighters that I work with that have like an early morning training session, I do have to meet them where they're at. So if they're like, you know, I don't eat anything in the morning, I say, okay, would you be open to trying something? Okay, yes, I am. Okay, well, what do you want? What would you be open to trying it? Keep in mind, you know, if you're going to be training at this intensity, these are the two macros. So like if you're training at a maybe a moderate intensity, we want to distribute carbs and fat. Again, I'm trying to give them the energy first. That's the first thing that goes through my head. I want to give you energy. If you're going to go into early morning session and it's strength and conditioning, I'd be like, maybe we should have some protein. Maybe we should have some carbs. You know, like I, I try to be like, oh, you're going on a run. It's going to be low intensity. Um, okay, let's try to push maybe some carbs and fat. Are you open to that? Like, have you tried that before? Um, I'm not, I've never tried. I'm like, let's be safe and try carbs because that's going to be the one that sits best. And do you want a certain food that sits well in the stomach? Yes. Okay, let's try like a banana or maybe some oat, a little bit of oatmeal. Like, let's just try that. Something small, something easy for you to just pick up and eat within 30 minutes of training. And it may not even be enough for the entire session, but you're just like, we're starting somewhere, right? We're starting here. Okay. Okay. Maybe next time it'll be two bananas, 60 grams of carbohydrates. Hey, that's not bad at all. Uh, maybe after two bananas, it'll be like, let's add a tablespoon of peanut butter, a little bit of fat. You know, you're doing this baby step process because I don't want to throw everything at them at once because they already have a lot going on. Just knowing a combat athlete and the different training sessions that they have throughout the day. It's like, they're focused on that. They're focused on their performance. I'm like, let me just introduce one thing to you and I will be the one to follow up to be like, how was it? How'd you feel? Like, so you don't have to think of the questions to, you know, ask me, you know, I'm already prompting you to be like, listen to your body. You know, what are your energy? What's your recovery? How is your soreness? Were you able to push longer for, or harder for longer? Like those are the, that's how I prompt them. Um, so baby step it is what I do. <laughs> do you have anybody that will push back and be like, I'm no carb, I'm no carb, but they will have fruit or like, do you consider, you know, do you call starches, your breads and your pastas, or do you call those carbs too? Like, how do you classify it? And how do you recommend people when they talk with athletes that are having the reluctancy? Yeah. So sometimes I do throw the word carbohydrates around. Sometimes I do throw the word starches and grains around. Um, I do try to categorize them, especially when I get deliver that education in the a handout that I send to them. I'll have like starches and grains, fruits, vegetables, dairy, you know, fats, proteins, or, you know, animal-based, non-animal-based, I try to categorize that. Uh, I, I am not even, you know, yes, I'll say like, have some fruits, have some, you know, some grains, some starches. I try not to stigmatize um, enjoying some candy or cookies here and there. Um, I don't, I don't really have, even like I, I tell them, you know, and like take some Vitargo with your electrolytes before training or during training. It's just pure like sugar, you know, it's pure sugar, but it's going to digest fairly easily and it'll be used as energy immediately because your body needs it. Um, and also a lot of these fighters that I work with, like they're all on a calorie deficit on a weight descent. So where I can like push carbohydrates to optimize that training session, I try my best. I don't, I wouldn't say I get a lot of pushback with like sugars and carbohydrate. I'm like, enjoy it, but listen to your body. You know, I'm trying to like incorporate that mindfulness concept. Although I wouldn't say I'm a, like a subject matter expert in that area. I'm more of like, listen to yourself. Like 
And I find that a lot of these fighters that I've worked with from start to finish, it's like, oh my God, I never knew I had to listen to these certain things in my body. It's like, yeah, how the heck would you know unless you kept track of that? So I always try to make sure, hey, what's my soreness? What's my energy? What's my recovery? What's my sleep? What's my stress? What's my mood? Like I'm keeping track of these subjective measurements so that they can see like nutrition is not a, you know, it's not like physio or like um, sometimes like SNC where you feel like an immediate response. Nutrition is so long. Yes. It's so long to find that information, to learn that, to like really see the results of like optimizing your nutrition. So, but yeah, going back to the carbohydrates, I don't get a lot of stigma. I'm I'm really trying to tell them like, enjoy the cookie, like stop restricting yourself. Cause right when you restrict yourself, you're going to binge later. We don't want that. Mm. We want you to eat these things and know that it's okay to eat these things. But again, how do you feel when you eat this thing? Do you feel like shit or do you feel good? You know, (laughs) that's, that's what I'm trying to teach them more of. <clears throat> to your point about that, that's got to be super frustrating with, and I'm speaking from my former assistant was like, man, nutrition is so important, but it's not mandatory, right? Like that's got to be the most difficult part for you is the fact that you're never, I mean, you're never with them all the time. Like maybe if, if they were eating a meal, but like they're off doing it on their own and you've really just got to work on educating them. And then there's just so much things fed at them with, you know, fads and just bantered at them. How do you handle that? And what do you recommend to our coaches? Yeah. So, so when I'm not with them, I really, I get going back to like how you're feeling. So I'm not with you, but you're going to go out and eat at this one restaurant and you're like, okay. And they like tell me these things. I like try to keep in the back of my head what I'm supposed to eat when I go to this restaurant. And I guess I should preface to the audience that with combat sports athletes, they're bought in. They're bought in because their money depends on them making weight. So like they listen. So I guess it's not fair in that regard when it comes to like NFL and NBA and soccer, like they are bought in with combat sports because they need to make weight. And so they'll listen to you. Um, but when they go out to eat or when they're with a family, like I, I have some athletes that are like, Oh, I'm at like a family get together. Like, what do I eat? I'm like, send me a picture. I'll tell you what to eat. You know, I know it's not a good thing. I need to set more boundaries, but I'm also yeah. like, or just use this method, use the performance plate method. What did you do today? Did you not train? Okay. Then we're going to have to use the easy performance plate method, which is half your plate veggies, a quarter of your plate, protein, a quarter of your plate, starches, grains, fruits, a cookie, whatever, just use that visual. And then when I can like instill that information into them, they know that they can go out and, and eat that type of food. I mean, there's going to be a day where they binge. I'm going to be like, that's okay. Don't beat yourself up. It's going to be okay. Maybe your body needed it. Maybe it told you like, I want this food. It's because you've been restricting. This could have been like a good diet break for you. Let's see. Let's see. You know, it's not going to really make or break. It shouldn't really make or break the next day's weight because unless you ate a ridiculous amount of food, it's okay. It's going to be okay. So when they're out and they want to go have like the food that they want, you want to feel like they can tell you. I think that's the part you want them to feel like they can tell you and not feel ashamed and not feel like they have to binge. Like that's the part that hurts. It's like, I want you to enjoy those food. I want you to go out and like, you know, have that, um, you know, that dinner or whatever that's maybe higher and and fat and carbs. Fine. Just tell me so that we can work around it the next day. So that's, that's like one big thing. You can't control everything, but you want them to trust you and believe that that you'll take them on this journey and maybe educate them afterwards. Like, Hey, how did you feel though? Did you feel good for training? Did you go to sleep well? Like, did you wake up? You know, those are the things. To, no, but it tasted to cons- fantastic, right? To consider, yeah. But you want them to, like, listen to themselves, to their body and, and know, like, okay, 
this is how I felt when I ate this food. Maybe I'll eat it on this day when I'm done with training so that yeah. I can fuel on this day. So they think that way. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe um, th that's, I would say maybe that's how you got to like be able to give the education to the athlete, like listen to your body, like go ahead, have that food. Cause I'm, I'm not also like, again, going back to have a cookie, have a can have some candy, like don't be like, be able to enjoy those foods. Don't restrict. So you don't binge in the future. Like I'm not a very like card dietitian. That's like, don't eat this. Don't eat that. I'm like, I'm going to meet you where you're at, but I'm also going to teach you how to listen to your body and know, Hey, this is how I felt. I didn't feel recovered. I felt exhausted. I felt like I couldn't push hard enough. <laughs> then let's try something different. Let's try something different. You know? <laughs> yeah. You talked about how, you know, athletes that have to make their money to make weight. How about when you were at UCLA with like diving and gymnastics? Cause we have a good notion <laughs> of team sport athletes that, you know, body weight within whether it is wrestling, diving, gymnastics, um, figure skating, like how about with them? What's up, strength coaches? Taking a quick break away from the show to let you know about our membership site. Not only do we at Strength Coach Network put out the Cheeky Midweeky, but we have a membership site where you gain access to a video library and a members-only forum. Inside the video library, you will have access to over 170 different lectures, which equals over 400 hours of content. Inside of these content, it is every sport you could think of and every topic in strength and conditioning. In our members-only forum, we have career advice and we have topics in strength and conditioning where coaches ask each other questions and we help each other inside the network. You can try the network out for 24 hours for $1 if you are not a member. Click the link down below and you will be able to check us out. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting. When I was at the Olympic Training Center as well, I worked with diving and, and gymnastics, and they, I wouldn't, I wasn't so heavily involved with them, I have to say, but there is some intricacies that it comes with working with that population as it relates to like muscle glycogen and holding of water and feeling taut in their muscles and not being able to, to flip and maneuver the way that they want to. Um, and, and, but it also comes back to like, cause they're, they're, they're very much, there's a lot of influence and in how they win their competitions or how they're judged based off physique and body. Mm -hmm. So I, I did work with more of the junior level artistic, artistic uh, gymnast gymnasts. And there was a heavy emphasis for me on three meals a day, snacks throughout the day, fuel your training. That was what my emphasis was with those, with those girls. And it's just like building a habit, building a habit. You're like kind of um, getting into like more of the uh, Olympic team. Like let's build these habits. Now let's fuel for this training session. Let's get enough calories. Cause we, you guys train so much. Uh, and then, you know, give me your feedback. How was it? How was it? I felt good or I didn't feel like this. And so I think a lot of at the Olympic Training Center, it was like educating at UCLA. It was like they were going to school and also trying to be the best athletes at, uh, in the collegiate setting. And, and so it was more of educating and being there to answer questions, being available, knowing that they can trust us and give us um, any kind of feedback and like just having snacks and fuel available to them. It, it was just of gaining that rapport, I, I think, because uh, sometimes with um, that kind of population where it is emphasis on physique and body composition, it's more like, we're not here to tell you not to eat. We're here to tell you to eat on your level and how how you want to do it. Like, I'm here for you, you know? <laughs> like, that was what the emphasis was. No, yeah. that's super cool. And I think that, is there any validity to this thought that I had where, for me, when I was working with any athletes that I felt were trying to restrict food, I would almost make it a point where I would eat snacks on the floor if it was like a one-off individual training session with them or, you know, maybe at the end of the training session, like they'd see me drink a shake or eat a meal with them just so that way they're not like destigmatized of like food is bad. 
Yeah, it's like mimicking. You're just you're the stimulus, and then then they can mimic what you're doing. It's good so that they're surrounded by people that know the value of nutrition and the value of consuming fuel, like on consistent schedule. Even though you may not have been training, you're like, yeah, but I I should be eating my meal at this time because I know the the value of maintaining you know a, a optimal blood sugar levels and like maintaining muscle mass. And I know that I want to feel good. And I know that when I eat these times throughout the day with these types of macros, whatever, you, you may not talk to those points, but like when I eat, you know, consistently, I feel good. And so mimicking when one of the staff members is doing it, especially when all the staff members are doing, doing it. Like you have the entire staff of like physio strength condi conditioning and dietitians all lifting in the gym at the same time. That'd be sick. Like, you know, or like everyone like doing it like a teaching kitchen together. You got strength and conditioning, get physio, got the therapist, the doctor. You got everyone like making food together with athletes. Like it says something like it says a lot, you know, they feel like it's a team. Yeah. When you just said that about making food, it made me think about how I've heard athletes say it and you've probably heard it too. How do you answer it when athletes are like, oh, it's too expensive to cook at home or to eat healthy? Yeah, that one's tough. Um, <laughs> you... Because it's not I, true. Like, it's not true. There's definitely a way to do it. It's a habit. It's building that habit out it, and finding why it's important to them to do it. What and what meals are easy for them to make at home? You know, like that. That's what's key. Is what is the barrier? What's stopping them? What do they do at that moment in which they should be making the food? Like, do they sit down to watch TV? Okay. How do we do it so that when they come home, they don't sit down to watch TV, but they got the TV on and they got like everything set up already. Like they already have like maybe um, the cutting board out. Maybe they got this out or, or whatever. They got, you know, the tools that they need to prepare something easily, smoothly. Oh, I go to get water. Okay, well, you go to get water. You might as well get this out and do this, like insert <laughs> it into their daily schedule and find the foods that taste good to them. And if that means you got to start off by letting them enjoy the foods that may not be a dietitian's dream meal for them, then let them start there. Let them start there. You know, you don't want to like cut them off from what makes them feel comfortable. You want to introduce new things over time, like add this, try this, maybe do this. Like, um, because they don't know you, <laughs> they don't have to do it if they don't want to. But they mm. want to feel like you care. They want to mm. feel like you want to help them be better, not just as an athlete, but as a person, you know? <clears throat> How do you go about building that relationship? Because I've seen some great and I've seen some poor and it might be just a short time. It might be a long amount of time. But the best relationships I've seen that nutritionists have with the athletes are the ones that are around them the most. Like – advice to coaches on how they can get their nutritionist around more for that better relationship between athlete and nutritionist or RD. And then afterwards, let's talk about the difference. Cause I don't yeah. know the difference. Okay. Yeah. I, I think you just got to be there, go to practice, um, go to, you know, strength and conditioning sessions, be there at the physio table. I know we all say that, but it's like, it's true. Be there, be there. You know, if you're not there, they're not going to see you. They don't think you care. So if you have other things going on, like you're going to have to prioritize going to soccer practice, going to field hockey, whatever practice, like be there, offer up snacks, like talk to everyone. You might be the one that might need, might need to initiate the conversation, like, you know, and, and show face. Like we would at the Olympic training center, like we'd go 
to gymnastics practice. Like we're always there. Go to wrestling, go to boxing. Cause that's where you're going to have the conversations, the real conversations that pop up. Yeah, like they'll ask you right there. Down, Cause they're like yeah. in the middle of training. They're like, actually you're going to get a real talk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For me, like when I was at LA galaxy, like I was just an intern there and, and I'd come around with like the water. I'd be like, how you feeling? Like just like a one-off conversation, like right then and there, very quick, nothing too long, but it's like, how are you feeling? You look like you may look a little tired. Let's try this drink today. Oh yeah. Okay. I'll try it. Like, I'm going to come back and ask you how, how it went later. Okay. I'm like, okay. So it's not about, it's like you also feeling confident in your ability to have a conversation with somebody mm-hmm. that is trying to and not feel awkward and, and, or so professional, you know, like let your guards down, but keep that line. Don't lose that line. You have to keep that line. Um, so don't feel like you can really shoot the shit with them. Like, and cross that line. Don't do that. Um, cause you want to make sure that you still are, are looked at as a professional. Um, but that can also come back, come down to their level and know what it's like to be an athlete, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, but yeah, show your face. What is the difference between RD and nutritionist? Because <laughs> some of our listeners might have both or one or the other. And they're like, what does that mean? In the States, um, and from state to state, state, it's a little bit different, but for the most part really? in the United, yeah, well, in the sense of like having a licensure and okay. not have it and just being a registered dietitian, which is like being a registered nurse, you still take okay. a state exam and you're just registered. But like in certain states, like Nevada, they allow me to apply for a licensure that says, um, I, I'm a licensed dietitian. I'm allowed to do these things and no quick break from the show to remind you to hit that like and subscribe button. So that way you get notifications of when more content like this gets released. So click that like and subscribe button. And with that, let's get back to the show. Yeah, a nutritionist or someone that's not a dietitian cannot do these things. You are not legally allowed or else you'll be sued. Um, in the state of California, we don't have licensure. And so you're just a registered dietitian. Um, and you are the only people that can work in the hospital and be able to provide tube feeding and like um, total parental nutrition. They will never bring in a nutritionist. You will never see a nutritionist God forbid you'll ever see a nutritionist. They will never hire that in the hospital because they don't, they weren't um, schooled in how to provide like medical nutrition therapy, which is like the big divider between nutritionists and dietitians. Medical nutrition therapy is only a dietitian is skilled in that area where we go to school. We do 1200 hours of supervised practice in different realms of nutrition. And one of that is called medical nutrition therapy under the umbrella of clinical nutrition. Wow. Uh, we, that really is like, I would say the big signifier of what defines us and as well as the education and the, and the hours of, um, internship experience. Uh, but yeah, we're the only ones that can go into the hospital and provide that kind of, um, advice, meal recommendations, um, and, uh, specifically around the tube feeding and, um, like vein feeding. Uh, that's the only, uh, that would say that, that, um, but yeah, so taking a state exam, 1200 hours of supervised practice, um, getting a bachelor's now getting a master's in dietetics or nutrition, uh, is what separates us from nutritionists who don't have any of that. But in, um, you know, across the globe and in, in other countries, it's different. It's different. I can't speak to those, but I, there is education around it. Um, there are some overarching organizations that provide a lot of very good education to people who may not have gotten to school, may have not gotten school around that. And so um, it's a bit more complicated uh, um, across, across the globe, but in the United States, that's kind of how we separate it. Yeah. 
<clears throat> with respect to privacy for all of the things that you've seen over those 1200 hours, what were some of the things that you saw during that time that helped prepare you to work with athletes compared to other gen pop? Like, just talk about that. That's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, I would say, yeah, I think I, I would imagine a lot of a dietitians would say like working in the clinical setting really teaches you a lot about the different diseases and condition, conditions people go through um, through I their bet, lifespan. Yeah. And knowing the value of being able to read labs in the hospital setting and knowing the value of being able to communicate with other practitioners, doctors, respiratory therapists, um, speech language pathologists, uh, and, and being able to have that rapport and also seeing the hierarchy of um, how things are done and knowing that there are other influences as it relates to like the culture and the environment of that community and um, also um, just life and, and just kind of seeing that that progression but yeah i would say like the communication the collaboration and just seeing some scary conditions and and how nutrition can help and how sometimes the system is a little failed um, and and also um yeah just uh, severity of different diseases and conditions that when you go into like a sports setting especially in combat sports we see a lot of like um, acute dehydration we see a lot of chronic stress, but with the acute dehydration, you see potential AKIs, which is something that you uh, come across in the clinical setting, acute kidney injuries, you know, sweating more than 2%. I don't know what the cutoff is for when you experience like an AKI, but like, um, you know, having like an acute kidney injury is something that I wouldn't be surprised a lot of fighters experience during that weight cut period, 24 hours before a weigh-in and uh, knowing how to rehydrate properly and knowing what that fighter needs to rehydrate optimally in order to, um, in order for them to feel like they've come back to life, I guess, for lack of a better term, uh, and knowing what not to provide them that could potentially be very detrimental to their health. Knowing the difference, it's scary that some people are out there giving out recommendations on like certain rehydration that you're like, no, do not drink that. That's exactly what I'm saying. Like there's, yeah. you see these like IV places just like right across the strip and it's like, oh yeah, come get this IV or like these yeah. just random people like, oh, slim down with me training when it's like, yeah. you've gotten real, pra- like yeah. it's terrifying, right? Yeah. I, I wouldn't say I have a lot of experience with the IV realm, although I do know that a lot of fighters go and get that, but UFC roster fighters can't because it's against like USADA. You can't have a certain amount of like IV fluid, but um, I'm not sure how it works with their new overarching organization it's going to be probably more strict uh but other um promotions i'm not sure bellator pfl how they do it they do allow iv and you have to be careful yeah you really have to be careful it's not like these iv spots know the intricacies of what a fighter goes through yeah they sweat okay they do an acute (laughs) sweat loss great uh, making sure that the person that's giving you the IV drip is a registered nurse or a doctor or pa or you know nurse practitioner and that they've done this before and uh, and just know that this like their livelihood depends on it like they are going to make money and they need to rehydrate properly and i so i only know the oral oral route technically um but um but yeah it's scary when somebody recommends the wrong oral rehydration solutions scary that's the way that i was thinking about it like oh it's almost like somebody working at the mattress store saying that they're a sleep expert it's like of course you're a sleep expert you're going (laughs) to say that but like are you at like you don't, you haven't probably studied it as much as yeah. anybody that is actually working in health and human performance. Right. Um, yeah, because like the, it can't just be a supplementation advice from you or like, how, how do you handle that balance with 
you know, supplements or food within this medical nutrition therapy world? Um, supplements and food. So yeah, it's a fine balance and making sure that first of all, they trust you enough to tell you all the supplements that they're taking. Sometimes right. you're, you, they don't tell you everything. And so you want to just, you know, ask them up front, okay, these are all the supplements. They tell you, these are the supplements I'm taking. And you say, all right, this is it. And what about any, like any kind of medication? You get that information and you start to kind of piece that together with all the other assessments, questions that you've asked them to see where, you know, where is it? What do they need? What do they maybe not need right now? What they can really supplement come maybe fight weeks, stuff like that. So knowing uh, just from working with fighters and, and um, knowing what is important for them supplement wise and knowing that they're always sort of in a calorie deficit, it's like good information and experience to have so that you can delineate which ones are um, supplements that they should be taking, but also which ones should they just be pushing more food? And yeah, okay, every person is a little bit different with what foods they like. like maybe they don't like any fish. It's like, okay, but I know you need like omega-3s. You get hit in the head all the time. You need that. <laughs> um, so, okay, I'm going to push the supplement then heavily um, so that we're just making sure that we protect your brain. But when it comes to sometimes situations where they're just like training a lot, three times a day, six days a week, I'm like, okay, I can give you some good, like I would say like the research is – still i think improving in this realm but like curcumin to help with like inflammation around like muscle recovery and just over overall recovery i do like to recommend that but i also like to put a heavy emphasis on like are you recovering like are you taking those recovery sessions like do you know what that means it's important to optimize your recovery side by side with your freaking training because you guys train so much that you need to recover just as much because i can't help you with your weight if you cannot recover like I really can only do so much and the same thing, like if you don't train enough and no amount of nutrition is going to fix the weight, you know, like, and so it's a bit of a fine, fine balance. So I kind of pick and choose what is, what I should push for when it comes to supplements. Um, but, but there are definitely some that are essential that I think everyone should know about, like everyone should be like pushing the, you know, the strength and conditioning staff and the physio should still be emphasizing the need for omega-3s to protect the brain, you know, creatine to protect the brain, that those are things that are, everyone should be, uh, you know, fostering in, in this like combat sports realm. But if you don't know anything about supplements, then go ask people who are well-versed in those, those areas. And if you feel like, you know, those supplements haven't been, um, What's up, strength coaches? Want to take a quick break from the show to talk to you about our sponsor, Team Builder. Team Builder is your one-stop shop for online training platform needs as a coach. With Team Builder, you're going to be able to program for your athletes, whether they're in-person or remote. Using Team Builder, not only will you be able to program for your athletes, but there are special features such as the leaderboard and locking training with wellness questionnaires. With the leaderboard, you can have an exercise performed that day, whether it be a lift, a sprint, or a jump, and scores can be updated in real time and projected on a TV in the training. Wellness questionnaires can be used at the beginning of training, and your athletes will have to fill them out prior to being able to train. This ensures that as a coach, you're being able to collect quality data before the athletes train. So, if you're interested in Team Builder, click the link down below and find out more information let's get back to the show tested with your sport uh, or niche then ask for help to implement that like ask them how they would implement it into their program so that you can start to see if any of these supplements do help help your population and so uh, I, I just like pick and choose because sometimes you don't want to push too much supplements into a fighter because 
they're like, I, I don't want to eat all these supplements. <laughs> um, well, yeah, yeah, no, and I mean, not to mention the fact that anybody can overwhelm themselves with all the different choices that they have for some yeah. of it's like, and and then the writings about all of them, like, oh, you need this essentially to live if you want to live optimally. And then yeah. they can get kind of sucked down into that rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm like a big proponent of, you know, third-party tested supplements. And I'm sure like people can talk more to the maybe they want to talk more to the cleanliness of it as it relates to like how it was grown and manufactured, whatever. But I talked to more of like the impurities and things that could potentially get into the product. And also I talked more to like the what's is what's in the bottle on the label and on the label in the bottle, like with third-party tested products, NSF informed choice. And then there's some international um, certifications those testing companies go in and touch tests like batches to make sure that what's you know on the label is in the bottle and and that's one thing that i try to like put emphasis on when i talk to athletes and coaches and managers uh just to make sure like hey make sure you're getting the right product and also um make sure that it's been tested so that there aren't any impurities in it that you're not getting extra like stuff that could test positive out there and and then if people get go down the rabbit hole of like is this the best kind it's like okay we can go down we can keep going to like okay which is the best magnesium all right well what do you want it for and like then we'll go down that and then i go into okay well let's see what the research says and oh there's no research okay i'm like okay let me see if i can reach out to people and see what they know about this i go down that rabbit hole to like make sure that i'm not recommending the wrong supplement uh and that it's been tested and there's research to support it and you are fitting the bill for that, the need of that supplement. I try to make those steps and try to educate on those steps. Speaking of research, there happens to be a lot of times for strength coaches where the population might not actually be the team that they're working with simply because <sighs> those athletes weren't available because of the process to get research done. <clears throat> How do you find the research that you like to use and what do you do when things like that do come up and you, you know, you reach out to your other colleagues or do you try to find research that it was on a different population, maybe recreationally trained people? Like what's your go-to? Yes. Yeah, so I try to obviously find the sport of interest. And then if I can't find my specialized sport, then I try to find a sport because at least it's in the realm of activity. And if I can't find that sport, then I do move down into more gen pop or or the next could be into medical i'm taking i'm going down this realm and i'm just keeping it in the back of my head like it's a different population like if i had to pick one that had to do with more clinical clinical setting then i'm like oh totally different population they're not active but what is the takeaway what did they find and how might that be different from what i'm seeing and what i'm looking for to prove or disprove what i think might help so yeah, you kind of have to go down that realm. And then if there is a subject matter like expert out there, ideally you'd want to be able to reach out to them and see like, Hey, I've already done my homework. I don't want to waste your time. <laughs> I've done my yeah, homework. Yeah, I've looked at yeah. the research. This is what I found or not found. Um, what do you think as it relates to this? I'm looking to see if there's any kind of uh, relation between these two. Um, and um, where do you think I can go next to find this information or what should I do next to find this information? So, yes, you want to kind of try to find the research in that area or try to find somebody that is a subject matter expert working with that population or that supplement to see if maybe they've they've implemented something and they've seen a trend or something like, you know, some kind of association between this supplement and this and athletes or athletes like specific athletes and that supplement, you know, 
maybe they have anecdotal data, okay? And that's not, we can't discount that. Let's see what they've done and see if maybe that can relate to our specific population of interest. <clears throat> Speaking of uh, your population of interest, what has been some of the the best things about, you know, working with your combat athletes, because like we said, it's not an easy population to work with. Like the fact, like all the sports that you've been choosing, like, I know. God bless you for that. Like what has been, you know, let's celebrate some of the highs. Uh, I would say like, they appreciate every advice that you give them. They appreciate you. They know the value. I think we all as dietitians feel so undervalued on like many teams in different settings, like in the food service community, clinical and in the sports setting, we sometimes feel a little bit undervalued because we don't give like instant gratification with our recommendations. And, um, and so with fighters, uh, they know the value of uh, working with the dietitian and um, optimizing their meals and their fuel to help them get their weight to a certain point. So it's sort of like a high when they are able to lose the weight and make the weight. You feel like, wow, I did that. Like, uh, it feels good. You don't always feel that in other sports settings, you know, like you implemented that, like that meal plan, you, and they executed. And that was the result that you had, you know, hypothesized at the very beginning and they delivered. It was, it feels so good. Um, they can feel very, very low when they don't hit it, but there are other extraneous variables that kind of go into play that you sometimes are like, ah, oh, okay, wow, I didn't, you know, that's interesting. Uh, you know, I'll have to take that into consideration when I look, when I start to work with other fighters in the future, you know. Uh, but yeah, the high is having them lose the, sounds so bad, like lose the weight, having them, you know, lose the weight, still optimize their performance, still feel like yeah. they have good energy, good recovery, you know, soreness is going away, all of those other subjective metrics are improving while they're still being able to lose weight and, and um, um, you know, get into the octagon and still be able to perform. And so that's, that's the high for me. <laughs> How often is it that people need to add weight rather than lose weight in any of these? Um, <clears throat> it is with some of the athletes that I've been working with. Um, I've had a few that are wanting to go up a weight class, which is a rarity to find. And the only reason why they're going up is because sometimes they're just, yeah, they're wanting to maybe not disrupt their teammate and they're wanting to go up. Or maybe they're just like, I just feel like I don't want to do the weight cutting anymore. And yeah, I want to, the weight cutting has <laughs> just been too much and I'm done. Yeah. Sometimes that's, sometimes that's the case where their coaches or managers suggest that they just go up a weight class. Um, so yeah, that, that can, that's very hard too. that people don't understand how difficult it is to gain weight. Um, and so I've, I feel like I've gotten a lot of expertise as it relates to weight descents and weight cutting. Uh, but sometimes when it comes to gaining weight, I'm always like, how are you feeling? How are you good? Are you good? Like, I'm always like double checking. Cause I'm like, do you feel like full? <laughs> do you feel like you have good energy? Can you push hard for a long time, even though you're gaining weight? Like, do you feel like you still have good energy? So that's the flip side. And I would say it's a handful. It's not a lot of people that are like that. For anybody that isn't familiar with it, when are weigh-ins and then when is the typical, you know, refueling, rehydration process look like? And again, without naming any names, what have been some of like the worst where you're like, oh my God, you did too much. Now you've binged eight. Now you can barely go train. You know what I mean? Yeah. I would say for every, um, for every combat sport, it's different. Like for example, like Nogi and Gi, Jiu Jitsu, they'll weigh in and then a couple hours later they'll compete. 
And, and they so, have like tournament all day, right? Yeah, tournament all day. And that, that's similar to the international like wrestling scene as well. They'll weigh in in the morning and then they'll compete a few hours later and they'll have multiple sessions. I think that's similar to collegiate. Do not quote me on that. I don't work with a lot of collegiate wrestlers. Um, but it, it's it's boxing will have two, like um, some local regional boxing air, uh, will have like two weigh-ins. So they'll have one in the morning and then a couple hours later they'll have another way in so you've got to be very systematic about how you hydrate but also you got to make sure you know we need to lose the weight weeks prior to arriving to weigh in so that yes. we don't have to deal with um deal with that and um sometimes you'll have sports that will weigh in at the beginning of the competition and in the middle of the competition so you have to keep that in mind as well so that just comes back to like losing the weight you know weeks prior to getting there so that you don't binge and rehydrate too much so that you're having to like cut weight in the morning and then compete in the evening. Um, but with many of the MMA fighters, it is like a morning, Friday morning, Saturday morning, Thursday morning weigh in. And then the next day in the evening, you have like 30 something hours they'll compete. And maybe I would say when I was at the UFC more so, cause we didn't work with every UFC roster fighter, they had their own dietitian and their own strength coaches that would help them with rehydration. And, and sometimes they want to do it their own way. And, or we'd give, and, or we'd work with those fight with certain fighters and they'd still do it their own way, you know? Um, so I would say more in that, in that, uh, when I was working over at the UFC, did I see some fighters like have the wrong food and, or drink too quickly and just throw up. And that's the worst part. Like if you had a pretty tough cut the day before and then you weighed in you started drinking your rehydration and you're just chugging 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 the thing is your stomach up until that day we had been kind of decreasing your calories so your stomach is getting smaller and smaller and smaller for like four or five days leading up to it so if you just down this water that you have not your body had not recognized in the last few days it wants to expel it and so it that individual literally vomit up all of their rehydration um, and then they'll start to cramp just like a, I've seen like full body, like cramping. And that's when Ooh. we go, that's when we go into like uh, medical nutrition therapy mode. And we're like, okay, this is what's happening to you. We're going to need to, uh, pretty much like get you some water and some, a lot of salt, like <laughs> a lot of salt and, or they're like pretty like different avenues of how you can address the cramping. And usually obviously you want to get them rehydrated back. So you want to introduce like the regular rehydration formula, but Sometimes that's not enough to get that cramping to stop fast enough. So you sometimes have to give them just like what I find and don't quote me on it, but I find that it's the salt that uh, they needed uh, with, of course, some fluid to put back in them. But it's like a substantial amount of salt that they need that we give them like the right stuff and they start the cramp starts to go away. And then you start to reintroduce the water back in because you had just given them 1700 milligrams of sodium. Now you want to put back the, the water, but in the right time frame so that you're not causing them to uh, throw up or, or you know, cause any kind of GI issues. So we always tell them when they start to drink the rehydration, drink slowly, drink this over 15 minutes, over 20 minutes, do not rush, hold back. You have to have the coach or the corner put a timer on to tell them, stop. Like you need to take the drink away. Like you need to just wait. I'm sorry. Like you have to wait and just drink sips, sips, sips. And people will stick to that. And they notice that they feel significantly better when they stick to that schedule, obviously. Um, and so we are always there to kind of remind them, don't drink too fast. Don't drink too fast. And those that do throw up, start to cramp. Then we give them 
our you know intervention of you know sodium and some fluid again uh and then they don't forget that in the future <laughs> do you do any um sweat rate testing with any of your athletes i did it at uh at towson with some of my team sport athletes but are there things that you do individually that you consult with your athletes i do the regular tried and true i wouldn't say sweat sweat rate yes not like electrolytes sodium testing so much it's more like hey you guys need to be familiar with how much weight you lose from sweat during this training session and from this heat acclimation session and from this like we need to be aware of this information because this dictates hydration during training and and, and or how much you need to rehydrate for the remainder of the day before the next session so i educate more to that i don't necessarily uh, push so much of like sweat patch testing uh it's just one more thing that they have to do sometimes and i barely get them to fill out a check-in form so <laughs> i meet them where they're at and it's easy to get a dry weight before keep track of your rehydration during and a dry weight after and it's better it's easy for me to get that and for them to do that yes would i love to know how much sodium they're losing sure like that would be great right at this point i'm I have so many different things that I'm delivering to them, uh, intervention modalities, meal plan, recovery, heat acclimation, that I try to get those down. And once those are down, if we can get into sweat testing or like me sending them like a Gatorade patch for them to try, like, yeah, I'd love to do that. It's just start, sometimes a nuanced nutrition in that, in that area. I just use the general like our general range of 500 to 1000 milligrams of sodium. Hey, do you sweat a lot? Oh, you know, do you feel like you have salt? Yeah. Okay. Maybe you're around this area. Try it. See how it feels to consume a thousand milligrams of sodium for 750 mLs, whatever. How did you feel during training? Say, oh, I felt great. I felt like crap. Okay. Maybe we should decrease. That's how I do it. You know, I don't, the sweat testing is more, I would say, I, I would assume it would be more controlled in those team sports organization clinical setting than in private practice. Yeah. Like I mean, yes and no, because we would, you know, put the, put a patch on the athletes. They would do a, a training session with me for 45 minutes. Then it gets spun in the lab. And then we'd essentially be able to tell them in a matrix, Hey, you know, low sodium, low salt, low volume, low salt, high volume, high salt, high volume, high salt, low mm -hmm. volume. Right. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. but even at that, we'd give them a piece of paper, like, Hey, this is what it said. This is the number drink you need to have. And the number of them, and they still wouldn't follow it, right? Yeah, so it's like, yeah. yeah, at that point, like kind of pour your energy and your time into those basics and those fundamentals, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I try to say you should be able to push harder for longer if you're getting enough salt because your body's retaining it. And so your heart doesn't have to push pump as hard as it would if you were dehydrated. So be aware of that. Can you push harder for longer? Hey, try a training session where you're wearing a polar heart rate and you're having your current rehydration solution. Try that same training session with a polar heart rate and have a little bit more salt. Was there a difference? Did you notice a difference? Like that's how I try to explain those overarching like theories of the importance of rehydration and like keeping track of like sodium intake. Um, and But in their mind, sometimes it gets stuck where a weight is the number on the scale yeah. is what gets into the head. And I, I try to explain to them, hey, it can be influenced by so many things. Remember, you do weight cuts, you lose this much water in how many hours? So how easily can we influence that number on the scale by manipulating so many things? So don't let 
don't let it get your head that we change some sodium um, intake influence you into thinking that number on the scale the next day just because it's maintained or is a little bit higher is actually your true number. R remember, we're trying to optimize these different systems. We're trying to, I like to say, manipulate these different physiological systems so that we can control for them later come weight cut day where I can say, hey, we're going to drop all of this. Your body should just flush out all these, um, all this water and flush out all this salt. And you should see this big jump in weight trending towards your weigh in weight. So just think of it that way. We're, we're trying to manipulate the body and see how we can optimize it, of course, um, so that you are consuming enough uh, electrolytes and, and fluid. But also, let's see how we can push it a little bit so that we can manipulate the flesh. Um, and, and I feel like I tried to explain it that way, and I feel like it, it helps. <clears throat> that makes a lot of sense. Walk us through a typical, you know, what you do 10,000-foot view when somebody gets into a new camp and they need to go through a weight loss and they want to do it the right way. What does it look like, and how do you work with them? Yeah, so I try to get them um, at the start of their fight camp and each person has a different duration for what a start uh, a fight camp entails it's usually eight weeks so if i get you at eight weeks i do really? a full okay yeah, yeah i get a full assessment 12 my goodness i know it would be great if it was 12 it's not even eight sometimes like i get them at six or a month out of, and i'm trying to stop that by telling them hey let, i'm not starving you at like eight weeks out. I'm telling you to eat more at eight weeks, but when you come to me one month out and I have to help you lose this much weight, I'm sorry. Like I have to like induce some calorie deficit in order to help <laughs> you lose the weight. But had you come to me earlier and had we manipulated the metabolism into knowing that you were eating more, but we were tapering it down, you know, it would have been better, but, but yeah. So a fight camp is usually eight weeks, I do a full assessment on them. And usually the intervention is to help them lose weight. So I, I provide a meal plan that's based around their training schedule. I start with just a general, general meal plan across the board. I like to see, you know, um, if they can just hit those numbers across the board, you know, yeah, I could do high and low days, but at the first week, as we're getting to know each other, I want to know if you can do this. And so, uh, I, Jeez, those first few days must be so important over when you only have eight weeks, right? Like it's yeah, every, day's every day is valuable. important. Yeah, every day is important because uh, honestly, I would say the average way to have to help people lose is at least one pound a week. It's and I have to, like we have to lose one pound a week, and that's never the case. Like life does not warrant yeah, that's that. Not, like, yeah, no, it's no, never. It's <laughs> so I give you a, I give you a timeline. I give you like weight goals to hit every week. I touch base with you twice a week to make sure that we're trending in that direction, knowing in the back of my head we are not going to hit that goal every week. So I need to make sure that I'm staying on top with, of your meal plan, but you're staying on top of your recovery because, again, I can only put so many calories into you because of science and knowing that you have to be in a calorie deficit to lose weight. But you need to optimize your recovery because I find that with most combat sports athletes, they train two, three times a day, and it's always hard intensity training sessions. And so if they aren't optimizing the way that they you know do like active stretching yoga like ice baths um foam rolling like just getting all the gambit of like different ways to help you recover uh that the weight will not come off because that's stress, a really good point stress is stress man it it don't discriminate like if i it, especially when i introduce heat acclimation stress is stress it, you got to put it on a day where it's low intensity and we got to make sure we're doing the minimum amount to induce what we need which is to improve your sweat rate, but we need to stop after because I'm just putting another stressor on another stressor. So I'm trying to find ways to give them optimal recovery sessions while 
um, not stressing them about the food, but giving them the foods that they like that are easy to access that still induce a weight loss and, and, and um, kind of take them through that fight camp. So I'm adjusting depending, and some dietitians would disagree. And I'm really trying to find better ways on how I can deliver this information. But sometimes I adjust every two weeks or every month, depending on how the weight is progressing. If they're losing weight every week, hitting their goal, great, keep the same plan. But if we're not losing weight, and I've asked those questions around soreness, recovery, energy, moods, and those all seem to be okay, then the next thing is I have to induce another calorie deficit or, or your training needs to go up. But I, that's not my area of expertise. I'm always like, I, I assume based off the RPEs that you're giving me, this is high intensity and you're burning roughly around here. So then maybe it is the meal plan and, or maybe I need, need to reduce it because you're over consuming. So I need to put a, a more severe deficit because I know you're going to eat more um, because no one ever logs properly. And, and so I'm, I'm progressing. I'm trying to make sure that I'm getting them enough calories. I'm checking on their subjective metrics. I'm checking their weights, progressing them in the, in the right directions that we are going to get into fight week 10% or eight to 10% over six to 8% for women so that we can do some, you know, low residue diet, some fat-free mass manipulation, water load, and then a, a water cut weight cut 24 hours before. If it's like a weigh in again, it's making sure that we're very, very smart about how much we cut and how much we rehydrate back. <clears throat> how much will it change based on if they're an experienced fighter or a non-experienced fighter? Does that go into what you do with them? With experienced fighters, they do have a good foundation of knowledge around nutrition and their body and what foods they like. And they do, I would say, I'm trying to think, there are some experienced fighters that are that are good with their weight, but there's, there are do, there are still a handful that are not very good with maintaining a good walk around weight um, outside of their fight camp. And, and so I think it's re really sometimes like just adding to their foundation of knowledge around nutrition and incorporating small little changes. This is where you can get it into more of the nuanced nutrition with them because um, they can understand it. They know their body pretty well. Uh, and, and so you can add little tidbits, give them different supplement recommendations and, or like slight tweaks to their meals or different recovery recommendations that would just give them that little extra 1% that hopefully they'll notice. Um, but with like more of the amateur, it's like, just eat three meals and three snacks a day for the love of God, you know, like, please, you know, eat this much and yeah, it's going to feel weird, but we got to do this. This is a good foundation to build, you know? And yes, I will make sure we lose the weight every week. Don't worry. We'll, we'll get there. Trust the process is a lot of sometimes, um, hard for them to grasp, but as long as they're giving me honest information, they can trust the process. Has there been a shorter than eight week fight camp cut that you've had to do? Um, yeah, yeah. I've definitely had fighters that come to me one month out to help them with losing, losing like a couple pounds a week. And you're kind of like, <laughs> sometimes I have to say no, because really? you, you compromise my integrity. Now you're, you're asking me to be a magician. You're asking me to do things that I'm like, this is too much weight. And I don't want to be involved with this. You shouldn't, I'm not going to support this bad habit. You know, you have to know when to put your foot down. You have to know when to say, you know, this is not something I feel comfortable with helping you do. I don't, I don't want to starve you. I don't think you should be asking me to help you lose a couple pounds per week to get you to an optimal, you know, one week out fight, fight weight. 
and and so you have to in the private practice setting and when i was at the ufc it's more like no you got to help them and, and i get it yeah it's a business you got to help them so i would i do what i can to help them lose the weight and be there to support them and provide them with all the recovery strategies i can but now because i'm in a private practice setting i will say to them like come to me after your fight and i can help you and, and i might give them some tidbits right then and there to like put them on the right path but i just feel like it's you put you in a compromising position and again you propagate a bad culture they don't want to support that Mm-mm. kudos to you for that because not everybody would be doing that they might just be like all right i'm gonna find a way to help you do it and i mean myself included i might be like all right let me prove that i'm the i can help you do the impossible yeah but it's again it's like going back to like bad habits like and i think it's because they think they have to starve themselves starting their fight camps like no i'm telling you to eat more if you come to me even earlier i'm gonna eat make you eat so much more like but i don't know um why they don't think that like i'm gonna restrict you like no have that donut have that cookie like go for it i'm gonna be the one to tell you to have that you know 16 weeks out because i want you to know that you shouldn't have to restrict like eat more, eat more. I have a fighter that I've been working with for two years now where I'm like, we've been able to lose like uh, 15 or 20 pounds. And now he walks around at a great weight and he's able to go down to the weight class he had ideally wanted to to be at and, and eating so much carbohydrates, so much, so much. And, and that, that he's my example to everyone. You know, like you can be like him. It was rough at the beginning. He missed weight multiple times and you know, had to be moved to another promotion. So like it, it can work if you, you know, put in the work and know and trust the process that it's not something that happens overnight. It takes time, but every single time you do this like small fight, fight camp and we call it a fat camp. We don't, it's not a fight camp. They call it a fat camp because you're just like having to lose weight every time, but you're really messing up your metabolism. Yeah. Cause then you rebound higher and rebound higher and rebound higher. And I'm like, I can't, I can help you. Like we need to take a fight at a higher weight class so that you can eat, 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 eat and cut small amount right before you weigh in and take, and then keep taking fights at that weight class. And then as your metabolism starts to regulate, we can go, we can think about going down a weight class to where you're, you know, arm length, height, all, correlates with that weight class, whatever. What would you advise to a majority of our coaches or excuse me, a majority of our listeners out there are strength coaches, but we do have nutritionists, athletic trainers, um, physios inside of the network. What is your number one piece of advice, maybe two or three to strength coaches and how to properly work with the RD or the nutritionist that they have on staff? Yeah, I would say, I, I feel like you both, need to at the very beginning of the season like sit down together to um understand where both like both people are you know focusing on what are your goals what are you hoping to get out of it and i and likely you both have the same goals but obviously from just different different realms you're both wanting to support like enough calories in and and build muscle you know you're probably both (laughs) in that you're saying the same thing you're just talking different languages you're, so just having that sit down conversation, gain that rapport with them. It sounds so simple. Like it, it should be simple. Like hopefully you both are open to the idea of sitting down and talking to each other and learning from each other. Like I'll teach you a little bit about nutrition. You teach me a little bit about strength and conditioning. Like I'll come to the floor. You, I want to learn. Like I want to know, obviously like if you can integrate the exercise science of everything, my God, it would be a powerhouse, you know? 
and and being able to explain that say on the floor with an athlete you got the strength coach you got the dietitian there dietitian is having like you know starting the conversation around like oh did you eat before and then the strength coach ends it with we're trying to build muscle here you know like you having that <laughs> having that rapport and sitting down at the very beginning to kind of be like this is my goal this is my goal okay let's you can um this, you know the dietitian talks to the strength coach and says um, continue to push for them to fuel themselves before training uh, so that we can optimize their, their body mass. And the strength coach uh, will tell the dietitian, like continue to tell them to make sure that they attend and that, that they're putting all their energy into focusing on the strength and conditioning session and wanting to learn and get the most out of their training. Like, okay, I can do that easy, you know, like kind of giving each other like a homework assignment to push to make sure that we're both saying the same thing, you know, speaking different languages, but saying the same thing at the end of the day. Um, but you guys both have to be open to it. I think that can be hard sometimes. Like, um, I, I, when I was at the UFC, like there would be the physio, the physio staff were always trying to make sure like, are you eating? Are you feeling, are you hydrating? It's like, great. I don't have to say it. Like, this is wonderful. Like we're saying the same thing. Like, and I don't have to be there. I'm not always going to be there, but we're saying the same thing. It was wonderful. You know, you want that so that everyone's on the same page and, we're all not having to work harder or working smarter. Like we have the same goal. We're not like working against each other. And so I, I think like, just like keeping, you know, checking in with each other, you getting everything you need. Am I doing what I can to get you everything you need? No. Can you do this done? I can do this. I think those are simple. Like get your ego out of it and just help each other. <clears throat> what are some of the most common questions that your athletes or clients will ask you that you're like, okay, the basic person should know these things like to, to educate uh, I would say sometimes they, okay, I guess one, which it's not very basic. Maybe I'll answer that later then. It is around like carbohydrates and macros and, and weight loss. There are a lot of questions around that and knowing that, you know, carbs are used for energy and knowing that caffeine is more for alertness. And that there's a difference, like oh, energy good. gives you energy. Caffeine gives you alertness. It's different. <laughs> it's different. Like having that distinguishing information and it just comes down to words, you know, <laughs> and a lot of like protein is there to support obviously muscle maintenance, but it's there to help with recovery. You can't discount that. And so is carbohydrates and, you know, you still need to consume fat. I think it comes back to the macronutrients and knowing that these three macros have expansion of what they deliver sometimes one is more in how it provides inform like specific needs so carbs provide a lot of energy can protein yes they can be manipulated and converted into carbs and used for energy but that's not their purpose let's use them for what their purpose is and that can be used as a source of energy it is a source of energy but when should we eat it oh we should consume it more of for your lower intensity equally distribute it throughout the day ideally and and just i think for me it's like helping them distinguish the roles of each of the macronutrients and what they should be used for at the very beginning is important it's hard because they have so many roles and how they are used yeah no that makes uh it makes a ton of sense what are some things that you're seeing in the world of athletics nutritionally that like we didn't talk about but you're like you know what this is going on and this needs to be addressed in the world of athletics. Hmm. 
combat sports, other sports where you're like, man, I just, what is going, like, there just seems to be, a, like, from your professional experience, what is some maybe misinformation or some things that you just see being done wrong that you want to be able to educate coaches on how to do it right? Yeah, I would say maybe the weight class thing, like, that's like, a, uh, I would say a big topic of, uh like frustration amongst all of the dietitians and, and performance staff where fighters want to go down a weight class and we're like for the love of god don't go down a weight class like why and they're like oh because i feel like i would be bigger than them it's like well no one ever said that you being bigger in the octagon equates to you know more wins so where are you going with this you know and having to explain that it's a culture it's breeding a bad culture that's coming from like sometimes like coaches who were previously fighters and would go down a weight class and feel like that was where they felt more successful it continues on down the line and so we're trying to kind of like dispel that and say hey you don't need to go down a weight class you just need to go up eat more and really focus on your performance so like now it comes down to like is are are all your performance staff members delivering the right information interventions to get you to be the best mma athlete i don't know now that comes down to like What's your perform? Do you have a performance staff? Like you have MMA coach, jiu-jitsu coach, wrestling coach, dietitian, strength coach. Do you have all those? No. Okay, maybe we should get that group. I mean, if you're trying to be one of the best MMA fighters in the world, you need to have that core group and and know that they're all trying to help you be one of the best fighters and that they're all talking and that they're all on the same page. That doesn't. I'm gonna be honest. That that does not exist unless you're, like, yeah, a rostered UFC fighter where the staff, all the staff members are helping you, uh, where we're all talking. Um, but it's culture. It's a big culture about weight cutting and having to, wanting to go down a weight class and thinking that you'll get more wins that way. And maybe in certain types of fighting styles, it does equate to that, but it's hard to say if the research really supports it. So it's, it's, it's frustrating for us as dietitians because we go against our like ethical, like bounds of helping you lose weight. Like we don't want to do that. We want you to fuel yourself as optimally as you can so that you can perform the best you can in the octagon and so uh it's tough that area that culture that weight cutting culture how do you handle the balance between and you've alluded to it briefly in our conversation but the duality of research and then practical inflammation of people that are doing it like how do you handle those two swords yeah so it's i mean it's good if someone can put out I think the UFC and a lot of like ISSN are trying to put out, um, you know, research studies that are more practical that actually use fighters as the, uh, the subject matter and like give them practical interventions that really do apply for life. But there are a lot of research that don't apply it to the combat sports that you kind of have to use and just troubleshoot and just try it, you know, obviously not to an extreme where you feel like you're, it's a detriment to their performance and their training, but, um, you just kind of have to pull from the research what you can. I mean, a lot of, you know, weight cutting came from a lot of water manipulation and water loading. And that process came from actually the clinical environment and how people would like about like bowel prep, a lot of the fiber manipulation that we recommend for our fighters when we say low fiber, a lot of that came from the clinical setting and it came from like a bowel prep process where you would consume a lot of water and excrete um, one to 2% of fiber from your body. You know, like that doesn't exist. It's like an unethical process to sometimes have people do in a study to have them put themselves through something like, you know, water loading, which can cause hyponatremia. And so 
you kind of have to pull what you can that seems very similar to the concept in which you're trying to deliver and implement with your fighter. And so uh, if we could get more research study around combat sports athletes, which I'm seeing a lot of, so it's making its way for sure. And it's practical, it's relatable. And I, it's, it's, it'll be nice to see and be able to implement. Uh, and so for now we make do with what we can. And I'm hoping that there'll be a lot more studies around like, and, and there is uh, a studies around like reds and hypogonadal hypogonadism and, and stuff like that around like low energy um, availability and just hormone disruption. And it's very common in this combat sports realm. Uh, and so that's something that I'm finding is uh, an area that I, I'm seeing a lot of. So I'm wanting more information and wanting more deliverables around that. And I'm hoping that they could put a lot more of that research out there. <clears throat> That's awesome. I've had a pleasure being able to learn from you over the last hour plus for anybody that's made it this far, where can they continue to follow you in your journey? We're going to link it all down below for them. Yeah. So you can follow me. I'm predominantly on like Instagram where I put a lot, put out a lot of my education and uh, it's at Nicole Alai. Uh, It's A L A I sports R D. Um, so you can follow me there, ask, message me there. I'm always answering. I'm, I'm always, I guess, in the DM, like answering anyone's questions. I, I enjoy it. I really do appreciate the questions that people ask. Um, you can always email me at that same, um, Nicole, I, uh, sports RD at Gmail, uh, if you have any questions and, or want to chat a little bit more. So, yeah. Awesome. I appreciate you and, uh, have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much. Have a good one.